right, everyone. Welcome to the Concession Stamp Podcast, where we talk about movies and things we like. And this week, we're talking about uh, the movie Good Time, which I will... I'll tell you who's in it and that stuff right now. Man, I had it, and it's gone. It's wild work on it, guys. I promise. Quit shaking your head. I was starting to get there. (laughs) So was everybody else. This is... My go. I'm just gonna keep going. This was written and directed like college all over again by Benny and Josh Safty. It's Safty, right? It's Safty. Yeah, Safty. So. Okay. Uh, it stars Robert Pattinson, Benny Safty, uh, and I have Jennifer Jason Lee. I know there's a couple other people, but those were the the bigger names in there. Actually, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Mm-hmm. The uh, there's, there's one more in there. Captain Phillips. Yeah. yeah I'm forgetting his yeah. name. Yeah. I am too. He's uh, in, he's in this movie. Uh, the IMDb synopsis of this. After a botched bank robbery lands his younger brother in prison, Connie Nickus, also that name, uh, embarks on a twisted odyssey. I thought it was Nickus. Yeah, Nickus. Nick- okay, mm-hmm. so Nickus. Sorry. Sorry. Still, his brother's name is Nick Nickus. Yep. On a twisted odyssey through New York City's underworld to get his brother, Nick, out of jail. Movie was crazy, you guys. Um, We'll jump in with things. Uh, for those listening, we're going to be jumping right into spoilers. If you have any interest in watching this, uh, I recommend that you turn off the podcast and stop listening slash watching however you're consuming this content. Who's we? Who's we? Yeah, you said we're going to talk about the movie. Who are we? You're right. You are right. I forgot about that. <laughs> you guys threw me off. I'll work on an intro. Do I have to host this fucking podcast? <laughs> You will never host this podcast. You hear me? <laughs> I'll, I'll quit this shit so fast. I'll, I'll, I'll never quit anything as fast in my life. A Dr. Mick movie podcast? <laughs> You're right. I really just want movie, to. Jump. We'll call it Movies Unseen. <laughs> and, there's a, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot. There's a lot of those. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah. Sorry. 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 I'm going to I don't even know if I call myself the host at this point, but I'm Sean. My socials are up there. I've got uh, my friends with me, Jared and Micah. Will you both please introduce yourself so I don't have to and I can stop talking? Uh, I'll go first this week. Okay, uh, thank you. Because I started talking. Uh, I'm Jared, uh, otherwise known online as Jared on Air. You can see my Twitter name is under there. Uh, you can also find me at same name over on Twitch, where I've started streaming again. I'm currently going through Subnautica Below Zero, and it's a blast. So definitely mm-hmm. stop on by. But I'm excited to talk about a- another movie this week, uh, and I've really enjoyed doing this so far. Uh, so I will pass it off over to Micah. What's up? I'm Micah. That's me. I don't have much to plug. Uh, I take pictures on Instagram. Go check it out. You do great pickle reviews on TikTok. I do pickle review. I've done mm. a pickle review on TikTok. Uh, more coming soon. If you wanna, if you wanna mail me some pickles, I'll eat them. I'll eat the whole jar. Wow. That is... Okay. I split that TikTok up into a couple episodes. I did one pickle each time I watched, so it felt like multiple TikToks. Listen, Mike, I'm not your manager or anything like that, but I, I couldn't more strongly advise against eating random male pickles, buddy. Oh, I will absolutely <laughs> eat random just, male pickles. I, 
we might we might I mean, be I'm down gonna, on those. I'm not going to eat it if like the bubble's been popped and you know it's got to have the air seal. I got to be able to push it down or and push I it. I mean, and it makes no movement. I mean, couldn't that's, someone like taint like you know, that's a low bar, man. Couldn't someone tarnish it a little <laughs> I, bit and then reseal it themselves? The technology's out there. I'll, once I pop the cap, I'll smell the amount of vinegar. If it doesn't smell like vinegar, I'll say this probably has botulism, and I'll pitch it. You're just if gonna throw it in your house. Some, yeah, but if it's got that vinegar aroma, it's probably safe for botulism. And as long as it doesn't smell bad, down the hatch. Botulism is not the only concern you should have when eating male pickles. I'm just gonna put that out there too. You know, Are I'm male not. Pickles I don't, phenomenon. This I don't so want to. I don't want this so casually. Because he's he's saying if you mail me pickles, I'll eat them. So they're male pickles. What else am I supposed to call them? I just, it's amazing how, like, just how fluidly and casually you say male pickles. Like, it's some phenomenon we're all supposed oh, to be aware my of. My bad, my bad, Micah. <laughs> Micah, you need to be really careful when you eat pickles that are sent to you by the mail from other people yeah. through the postal it's service. It's a compliment. Or I just, through a private, like, private a company such as UPS or FedEx or DHL. Is that what you want instead of me saying fucking male pickles? Huh? Fortunately, Jared... Uh, nobody has my address, and so I'm not really concerned about getting mailed uh, mysterious pickles. I've been mailed pickles once, and I ate them, and they were all delicious. One in the, do it once, you can do it again. I'm one for one, but actually, it was six jars in that one, so technically, I'm six for six. Wow. Don't eat pickles. That derailed so quickly. Uh, to my... That's me, everybody, so now over... <laughs> it's a... Over... Wait, where am I? There. He's over there. Over there. Uh, we got to have our dearest, goodest, mostest, uh, sometimes annoying friend, Dr. Oh Mick, with us, who called me on my shit of not introducing us. So, uh, Ryan, go ahead. <laughs> it's my absolute pleasure to be here. Hi, I'm Dr. Mick. I'm on YouTube, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I play cool games. I use them to illustrate various psychological concepts i am a licensed therapist i do have a phd in human development but tonight i'm just a friend hanging out with his buds talking about movies and i have seen the least amount of movies of everybody in this room so because <laughs> i'm alone in my room but also in this mm -hmm. virtual room hmm. i've seen the least amount of movies but i'm thrilled to be here and i'm glad you invited me to come back after the debacle that was the hot fuzz episode <laughs> i'm glad you I'm decided jared was okay with this yeah uh i i sometimes make concessions for sean to be happy because that's what you have to do in a relationship oh that was good i see what you did there i saw what you did there i saw what you did there whose concession this week jared's concession <laughs> cool. it's actually also i'm on spotify too yeah i'm on spotify a, who, too who can stand the concession this week? You know, it's a little. Mm. Should that be a uh, should that be a segment we have? We, we conceded this, year, concession. this week. That, you know what's funny is that when, when we first started this, my original idea was that every week we would have a different snack because it was the concession stand, oh. and we would all be eating something different. Mm. Can we do snow caps next time I'm on? Snow caps are trash. <laughs> Well, I mean, we could switch we every just, week, so like that week would be something. Can, you, no, you, would, you two can't eat shit anyway. Like, what are we gonna? Snack? Yeah, like, what are we gonna do? We'd have to ask what you two can eat, yeah, and then go off really. of that. I will yeah, suffer for anything. I mean, I can still I eat will, popcorn. I will suffer for this. How are we gonna will, inconvenience John and Ryan? Something on stream, I will do it. I'm not worried about it. Corn pops. 
I'll do it. I'll shit him out in about an hour, but I'll do it. Oh my gosh. All right, guys, we're on the clock. Go. Yeah. Jesus wait, Christ. What, what court? Wait, what? <laughs> corn pops bad for you? He's allergic to corn. I, he can't I, oh, yeah, you corn. are allergic to corn. I forget about that all the time. Because, you know, we talk about corn so often. Wait, dude, yeah. we, we are constantly. What's corn? Did you consume? next week's intro? Corn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh God. maybe we'll watch Children of the Corn next week, huh? I've never seen it. Hey. That movie's uh I might I might break out in hives. Is that in black and white? It's not in black and white, no. Alright, cool, we can watch it. Yeah. Um man. I'd say I'm thrilled to watch it again, but I wouldn't be really that thrilled to watch it again. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's taking so long to get to the fucking movie. Alright, <laughs> so we're talking about good time this week. I, I did you guys have a good time watching Good Time? Nope. You did not yeah. have a good time. You did not have a good time. Ryan, did you have a good time watching Good Time? Uh, sort of. Okay. Yeah, it would depend on how you define good, having a good time watching the movie, but I mean, did I you wouldn't say I? I wouldn't say I was miserable while I was watching it. No. Yeah. Okay. I get. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of. I'm not. Haven't seen Uncut Gems. You all have seen Uncut Gems, but I feel like I know enough about Uncut Gems where I was the expecting the closest movie to Uncut Gems I've ever seen. This was, which makes sense. Yes. This makes sense. It's the same yes. director, so. Um, well, you've only seen like ten movies, so that means nothing to me. <laughs> well, I understand that, but I mean, I literally thought of Uncut Gems while I was watching this, so that makes sense. That makes I didn't sense. know it was the same director, so that makes even more sense. Yep, same writer director or you, set of writers and directors. There you go. Cool. Family affair. Yeah. Which I didn't know. I knew about the Safety Brothers, but I didn't know Benny was an actor or anything like that. And he he was really good. Yeah, he was fine. That he was it. Um, Granted, he wasn't. He yeah, he wasn't in it much, but mm-hmm. he was in it for a couple scenes. It's tr- yeah, true. He was. Um, I mean, that's a note I have, but I think I'll kind of save that for later. So I think. What we're going to try to do is we're going to try to structure this more around things that we like with the movie, things that we disliked, and then rating the movie, and then kind of flow in and out from that point. Um, obviously, I think music in this movie is a huge... I think, arguably, that's kind of where the on-screen stuff builds that tension, but the music in this is like... I could feel like my heart racing, the blood you know, going, I guess, for say, just from the music alone. Like it just kept building and building and it kind of had that. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm a sucker for like that 80 synth kind of, kind of vibe and whatnot. So naturally I was getting kind of excited about it, but, um, are you not familiar with uh, one of tricks point? Never. No. Okay. Well, he's like a, he's like a artist. And mm-hmm. so he did the whole score for this movie. Essentially. Okay. Did he uh, do, did he do any of that? Oh, did he do, uh, he did he do Uncut Gems? He did do Uncut Gems as well. So like, if you watched it, you would uh hear similar, okay, a similar feel and vibe. Yeah, but um, yeah, they they just got him to do the whole soundtrack. Oh, okay, yeah, I thought to me, music was definitely a, a high point for me in the movie. It was uh, I obviously the movie is fucking tense, to say the absolute least. Um. I feel like it's going to be hard to kind of just jump into like, I feel like I, I don't want to shit on the movie. Cause I think overall I do enjoy, I enjoyed my experience of watching this movie. I would say, but it's kind of, I feel like a lot of my stuff's going to come from the negative part of this. 
but I don't know if it's because of what's in the movie that it's negative. Like, like Robert Pattinson's character fucking sucks. Clearly, like, dude, he's just a bad character. So, um, and just choices he was making were so bad. They were just like it kept getting worse and fucking worse, and uh, I just was getting more and more stressed. Which I get. I think that's the point of the movie is not trying to make his character like, well, you know, type of thing. So, but I thought he absolutely crushed this. Where like I'm not super familiar with him outside of Harry Potter. And uh, uh, I've seen the first Twilight. Twilight. I've seen the first Twilight. Yeah. And like, that's all I've got really of Robert Pattinson. And so I thought he was great. Great musical artist. Isn't it? Doesn't what does he play? He sings too. He plays music too. He's awesome. Oh, you just kind of, you didn't really clarify. I just me. Well, I wasn't trying to derail it. I just say he's a great musical artist too. Like he does, he does a lot of other stuff too. That's my only, only other familiarity with him beyond what you guys are talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I had no idea he did music. Um, Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Literally my fourth note down was, yeah, Connie sucks. Uh, which at that point I'm trying to remember when I even fucking wrote that. it had to have been when they were running from the cops, just <laughs> then, time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I put Jesus. Fun, fun fact about the running from the cop scene: mm-hmm. uh, they they used real cops, mm-hmm. uh, and they were in a real shopping mall during real operational hours, and all of the bystanders were actual customers. I thought that was interesting. so. A lot of the a lot of the reactions were real people. Being like, oh shit, what the fuck is going on? They said Man, that. Um, imagine having to get all those releases. Mm-hmm. That's just that's someone's job. Hey, you want to be in it? That was. Um, they said that a lot of like the um, side actors and stuff too. They were just like people on the street and whatnot. So a lot of it wasn't. Uh, I mean, outside the big roles, a lot of it was just kind of casting of whoever they saw. I think, which I thought was interesting. I think it kind of adds um, just to the the grittiness of the movie. I don't know. And it looks like this was shot on film also. I was trying to look up um, if it was digital or not, but it did have like this really extra. It kind of reminded me of Euphoria. Like Euphoria season two has got that, that grainy texture to the film and the look. And I couldn't, but I couldn't find out if this one was um, shot on film or not. But um, it looked like it. But yeah, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um I was trying to I I try to look at the first shot and the last shots of the movie too to kind of compare and see hmm. the because I'll see a lot of like posts and stuff where they're comparing those shots and it is interesting to see. And so obviously the movie starts with Nick and ends with Nick. Also the ending for this was interesting and in how they did the I, I thought it was actually too much going on because they had the credits going, they had I'm trying. I don't know I if they had. That. I don't know if they had music going. They did have music going because there were lyrics. Because I'm trying to listen to the lyrics. Iggy Pop, baby. And I'm trying to. I'm trying to read the credits. I've got the music going, so I'm trying to hear the music that's playing. And then I'm also trying to listen to the questions that are going because they're also revealing stuff about Nick at that point. And I mm-hmm. think that that was something I was waiting to unfold throughout the movie was was the whys of. Mm-hmm what's going on kind of thing. And that was something that I made note of where I put Connie breaking into. So at the very beginning, he's at the appointment and he's talking with, I think Peter's his name, the, I don't know if it's, um, 
like a social worker. Can I interject or... for one second, Sean, and I'll yeah. let you keep going. Yeah, go ahead. The opening scene to this movie is my favorite opening scene in any movie ever. In interesting. Why? Any movie I've ever seen, it is my favorite opening scene. Um, I just, the way that they shot that with the therapist and Nick mm -hmm. with absolutely no context, yet it completely sets up Nick's character for the entire movie. What And the way that Connie, like the, that whole intro scene, I think you've talked about this before, that like sometimes like the whole intro scene is a microcosm for the entire movie. That whole intro scene is that, and I love, I was so invested in it immediately by the way they shot that. I just wanted to throw that out there. Because mm -hmm. you mentioned the opening scene, I I loved everything about that opening scene. Mm. <clears throat> I think it did get me hooked pretty quick because it's I'm asking you know you're asking a lot of questions right away like what's going on and and uh, but I thought it was interesting because it does set up how much Connie sucks because Nick is he's having this therapy is is it a therapy session is that what's it was a court mandated therapy session. Okay. That's a tricky thing to answer yeah. for me because I actually I hated the scene because of this because it actually felt like it was potentially a social worker, okay. maybe a licensed clinical social worker, but like I couldn't really tell. Yeah. And so it felt like it maybe was just like an interview, but also could have been like a court mandated therapy session. We don't know. And I, I just I mean, I'm surprised that Ryan was even able to look past this because I actually hated the way he was conducting. Uh, oh, I'm not I'm not critiquing. So I'm not I think if I was to go that angle and actually look at it from like a therapist perspective, I would be on the same page as you. But just the way that that was shot mm -hmm. and how I mean, and knowing how those types of things operate sometimes where like, yeah, you basically have some like old dude who's asking these arbitrary questions that don't really do anything in form of assessment. Like, but I think that it the way that that like artistically sets up the rest of the movie and how you understand Nick without any context ever, I think is really awesome because it gives you, I think to some extent, I don't mean to hijack this, but I think one of the things that this movie does incredibly well is that it constantly forces you to empathize with the moment. And so the, we see that interaction between Nick and the therapist. And I think in this case, Jared and I, in particular, since we're therapists, there's a frustration to that that immediately made me to some extent empathize with Connie when he barged in. And there's like sort of this way of it grabbing you where you're like, this doesn't feel right. And this is with a person who is unable to fully advocate for himself. And the one person who's advocating for him ends up being a piece of shit, which makes the ending super interesting. So like that complexity there, I think is why it really stood out to me a lot, especially if I think about it in hindsight. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought it just the way that nick his countenance was as he was going through that was like there's so many questions that you just don't get answers to and it's awesome i didn't empathize with connie at all i empathized fully with nick because it felt like nick was at least starting to make some like progress if you will if you want to use that word um mm -hmm. so i i hated connie from the jump um there was no empathy for him at any point in this movie for me whatsoever um uh nick though there was I don't know how you watch anything that happens with him in this movie and not feel empathy uh, every moment he's on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that pissed me off the most about that is that there were times where he would ask questions that you were he was trying to get, say, a neutral response to, or maybe he was trying to get it to lead to something else, and he kept on putting fucking value attributions on his answers. 
and you can't do that. Like you'd be like, oh, that's a good answer. You just need to make sure that you're moving through the assessment. Are you talking about Peter? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, That shit pissed me off. I almost, I like, I, I was like, I was like really, really angry because like I was telling Sarah this. I was like, I think Sean keeps on fucking suggesting movies with therapists because he wants me to like access that part of my brain when I tell him I don't want to access that part of my brain when I'm watching this shit. And she was like, hasn't Sean ever seen, hasn't Sean never seen this movie? I was like, I don't fucking know. Fuck Sean. Because uh, I, I like, I like forgot there for a second, but I was like, I feel like Ryan in this moment where I can't turn this off and I hate it. I hate that. Oh, that's fair. I mean, I'll be honest with you. It's never my intention. Uh, my intention is to never piss any of you off. So I just keep that in mind in the future. If Sean's doing this out of spite, yeah, I'm, you keep I'm, bringing me yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Makes you, makes you think <laughs> really makes you think. Um, so about the beginning. So I was thinking about this. I thought it was interesting because Nick is the most interesting character to me in this. I wanted to know more about Nick. And so in that beginning scene, we're kind of, you know, Nick's kind of having a moment. They're talking about his grandma. And I think he starts crying. And I was waiting to see if Peter was going to say something. I'm like, asking, like, why are you crying? Like, what's going on? And at that moment, Connie breaks. He, like, barges in, disrupts everything. And at that point, I was like, fuck. Like, you know, like, I'm getting into this. I want to know more. And then Connie completely fucking ruins that. Ruins that moment. And um, I feel like that's basically what Connie just does the whole time. Like, we don't, like, we see Nick for a little bit. Nick's in prison again. And then we don't see Nick really again till... To the very end, really. I think they have the moment where he gets knocked out uh, in prison, and then that's it. And then we, I, I, I'm trying to think, but I don't think that we see him again till the very end of the movie. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, you you really only get their dynamic as brothers or, or mm-hmm. their whole relationship is literally during the, the, the bank robbery. Right, yeah. And that's the only experience you really get as to how yeah. he treats Nick and, and how who he is as a person around somebody who he should be mm-hmm. caring about. And, and uh, it drove me crazy. It just, it was driving me nuts how fucking shitty. Cause I always want to, I try to want to empathize with the characters to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And Connie just fucking, he kept doing shit. Just, he get worse and worse every fucking time. Every moment was just worse. And it was never, I want to think he was trying to help Nick, but ultimately I think it was just for him himself. It wasn't like he felt bad for putting Nick into that situation. Cause ultimately the reason they were in that fucking situation was because of Connie. Like Connie wasn't there. That wouldn't be a thing. Wouldn't be a problem. I did look up to the title of the movie, good time. And I think it's, you can kind of assume based on his, what the actions and things he's doing, but good time is apparently um, it's like a, it's a term based on if you do good time in prison so you can get out earlier. And so they're implying that Connie was in prison at one point and then got out. And like, now he's doing this kind of shit. Cause they don't really, I mean, oh, you can interesting. Eat. Yeah. So huh. it's, I would never guessed that. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see. I mean, I guess that's kind of what I do appreciate with the movie, too, is it's not necessarily giving us a whole lot of context, but it's just enough to kind of keep you kind of going a little bit more. Because, like, the stuff with the grandma and whatnot, they don't really show her 
but they show her in that newsreel or he's watching the news or something and they're interviewing her mm-hmm. like real quick and it's this real quick hit of her and like connie just says like she sucks she's a piece of shit and when i or and i think nick says it too where they were fighting and arguing and stuff and so but I, i'm kind of ranting about it but basically the beginning where connie was just interrupting nick and us getting to know nick and i thought it was interesting that literally right off the bat they set that tone of like connie's gonna be fucking us up like nick was making progress and well yeah yeah so i mean and that's that that setup kind of like so what ryan was saying too like that that first intro bit sets up like it's it was a microcosm of the, of the rest of the movie and that the whole movie is connie running from and attempting to to fix all of the consequences of the actions he'd done previously the mm-hmm. whole time that's all it is he some problem occurs and it's that he has to deal with that problem because of you know he he broke the wrong dude out of the hospital so now he has to be with this dude and get the money and so then now he goes to this apartment and now and so it's just like perpetually there's more and more problems he's creating until the the very end of the movie when you get the implication that he told the police or somebody like i he was responsible for everything and that's like he would never what's his face peter or whatever it was just like yeah your, your brother did a good thing you know like he mm-hmm. and so i think that implication was he connie went to jail and and took the responsibility for everything and then nick is not getting mm-hmm. charged for any of that right i honestly i think connie would have just kept going though like if if yeah if he wouldn't have been caught he probably would have just he, kept yeah. doing this shit and yeah not making legal efforts to try and get his brother out. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess. What what would you say? What would you say? The, the overall point of, of the movie was, I kind of struggled in figuring that out. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I I have, I, I reached the place where I was, I similar to last week I hit, um, is this a movie that needed to be made? I hit that point pretty quick. Yeah. Yes, but I th- there's I think it's in a way that is hard to like. So so many people, I think you guys would probably agree with this, watch movies for enjoyment purposes. We went through this last time I was here. Mm-hmm. But I think so one of the things that I simultaneously like and don't like about this movie is the I think maybe the answer to that question, Micah which is one of the things that has always scared me about the human condition and like being a participant in society is that at any moment you could be the bystander of somebody's bullshit. Mm. And there are so many instances in this movie where people are just going about their own lives and Connie barges his way into their life and basically turns it around in a profound way, in a way that they have no influence over. Like, I mean, certainly you could make the argument that the grandmother didn't have to let Connie into the apartment. You could make the argument that like Ray Ray or whatever his name is could have gotten out of the car at White Castle. Like people certainly had agency in certain circumstances, but Connie sort of commands the room in a way and, and comes in with like complete reckless abandon. Like I think of it as similar to like, how at any moment in time, like you could be hit by a drunk driver while you're just doing whatever and it completely turns your life around. And that thought 
is terrifying. Like there are Connie's out there mm-hmm. that will are like so married to their own agenda into their own convictions and what they're trying to accomplish that the entire world in those moments does revolve around that person's subjective experience to a point that you could be roped in and tossed aside or screwed over by it. And to me, like, I don't know that that's what the, what they were shooting for with the movie, but that was something that so stood out to me is there were so many times where I was like, Holy shit. How much would it suck? to have yourself get roped into this. Even if you're the guy at the end who gets called in for the Sprite bottle to go get the money, like that dude gets screwed. Everybody gets screwed because this guy's on a war path to try to get answers and or like to try to get his brother into a position that he thinks he needs his brother to be in as opposed to like actually trying to help his brother out in any kind of meaningful way. But I do think that like he's this person who's like, it's really tragic because I think all of his motivations, he would tell you come from a good place, but the operations of that space is really bad for basically everybody. And it's this really like profound contradiction that for me, like I just, that was what made it so gripping for me is like this, like empathy for like simultaneous there, I think there's empathy to be had for Connie in a very backdoor way, but then also like empathy for like just the circumstance and everybody who gets completely screwed over by this guy being willing to do whatever it takes. And like, there's something admirable about, we, we often look at people who will do anything it takes to achieve something as admirable. And like, we think that's this really awesome trait, but in this case, it's something that completely destroys like everybody, including Connie. Mm-hmm. And how would you so, boil that down into a theme then that like i sort of like think of it as like the reality that your life could be turned over upside down by somebody who's not even in your circle in an instant like your you're, your you're life is not away. yeah like you are literally one random occurrence with somebody like that away from your entire life changing and we are all on the edge of a cliff really without real life like we 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 live so much in ignorance of how quickly our life can turn around with stuff. And like this movie just sort of exposes how quickly shit can turn around like that. Hmm. And it's scary. I, and I hate thinking about that, but it's I, true. Maybe, maybe I don't connect in that way. Cause that is actually how I do live my life every day is like, I literally live my life knowing that at any moment, everything could change. I have since I was like 16 and that's why people call me an old man. Cause I'm always like, Oh, watch out for that. That could lead to this. Oh, you don't want to do that? Because I'm like, Mike is over here thinking about eating male pickles. And I mean, my immediately thing was like, don't fucking do that. Because guess what? You might die. <laughs> so like, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm just so stuck in that mode always that it didn't resonate with me. Because that's just my that's just my operating system. That's just how I am. See, I, I, I think of those things, but I'm the exact other end of it where it's like, OK, what's the worst that I have? What's the worst that happens? OK, I die. I don't know that I'll be dead. So it's just like, I, I, you know, I'm down to eat some pickles. And if I die, I don't suffer the consequences. Just everybody else does in my circle. Oh, yeah. Not a great way to look at it, but it's like when I said, Sean, don't make me wear a suit to your eulogy. And you're like, yeah, well, I won't be there. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Whatever you want. Oh, man. Oh man. Um well, 
are, are we so i will some something i want to throw in the bucket because you mentioned the the end mm-hmm. sean because it, it so it, to me the beginning and the end of the movie were both fantastic um the middle i got lost in a couple places it was like okay whatever but like so i think something cool about this movie that was more profound to me than other movies that I've watched is that it forces empathy through contextual representation, but it's like in the moment. So like they don't, the movie doesn't give you any prior context at all for anything that's happening, which I think makes it very discordant and chaotic for us because we want to be able to connect with something outside of the moment. Mm -hmm. But that's like, but it simultaneously gives you the moment. So like, for example, at the end, when they're playing the credits, they're showing the folks walking back and forth in the room and they're playing Iggy Pop on top of it. And you're hearing the instruction, which I don't know if you guys watch the movie with subtitles. I happened to be too lazy to turn them off, but the subtitles were were showing what the woman was saying, not what Iggy Pop was singing. Right. Oh, mine actually showed the singing in... Like oh, mine didn't show towards the very end when it got quieter. Mine did the lyrics over the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Toward the end, I think it might have done that a little but bit. But I, for I, the most part, it I was, did get. Yeah, I got. I got most yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I'd like to think about those things as like, okay, so what kind of experience is trying to be curated here? And for me, I think about like we in that moment and experiencing all that chaos and trying to find something to single out have the ability to immensely empathize with what it must be like to be Nick in that room. Mm-hmm. because there is so much going on. You don't quite know the point because like the thing that happens. So like when you have a person, when you have a person like Nick, who we learn very early on is not capable, very likely of fully articulating an experience or like giving voice to his own values and context and all of this stuff, right? Like he lives a life of people having to speak for him. So that's that's very chaotic. So he doesn't have a full understanding of anything that's happening in a given moment. He has it in a fragmented way. And that's not an indictment on him. I think it's just sort of the consequence of whatever it is his disability is. And in that moment, like this, he's in this room and there's a good chance that he doesn't quite fully understand what's happening in that room in the same way that we sort of look at it as like, well, this is really interesting. And then there's like his thoughts, there's the thoughts that have been shoved into him, there's the dissonance between those, there's the demand of the environment, there's like all this shit and it's super confusing and it's so hard for neurotypical folks to get into that mind space and to understand it because we like to think that we can drag people out into being neurotypical and that's just not how it works. And so I think it's a way of them pulling us into Nick's experience to get us to understand how chaotic all of this is because like when Connie's doing the bank robbery, he gives what we believe are very simple instructions. Like when he tells Nick, don't run, I'm going to talk to the cops. Don't run. For us, that makes complete sense. For Nick, that makes no sense at all, or it has no context, or he hears it completely differently, and that frustrates neurotypical people to no end because we we think that it's like when you yell at somebody who doesn't speak your language. You're not actually helping. You're just getting louder. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, there's so many instances in this movie where the circumstance and the way that it's shot, it forces in empathy for stuff that we typically don't take the time to empathize with. And that to me is, I think, a really profound experience. Like I like the credit, the opening scene and the credits to me were like perfect. 
Like I thought I loved the way that they did the credits because it just, for me, it was, there was no ending. There was no resolution. There was no happy. It was just chaos. And that's pretty much what Nick has to deal with his entire life. That's a good point. So mm -hmm. what, um, it, it's chaos in a different way too, which is interesting. So it's like the whole movie is chaotic and, but like the, you know, the 10 minute marker through the hour and 20 minute marker, it's all chaos, but it's like physical, literal chaos. Whereas the end is, it's a whole different flip version of, of a chaotic experience, but for a completely different person and for completely different reasons. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And there is, yeah, I mean, even I'll give you another example. So when they're sitting outside White Castle and they, um, is his name Ray? Am I screwing this up? I think it's Ray. I think it's Ray. It starts with an does R, ever, I think. Does he ever even actually say his name in the movie? The I'm subtitle said his names. He doesn't say yeah. his name, but the subtitles did. Yeah, like I got his name from the subtitles, but I don't think he ever introduced himself. Okay. Even when he was on the phone with his friend, like we found out what his, all of his friends' names were, but like he never introduced himself to Connie, which I, which okay. was something I thought was really interesting throughout the movie, like a really interesting choice. Like he just, he just appeared mm -hmm. and was just a, a being. Well, which is cool, though, because like for me, when they're in White Castle, right, and then he um, Connie's like, shut up, I'm trying to think. And then he just starts telling the story. Mm -hmm. And that story is so tangential to anything that's happening in the movie. But we're forced to empathize with Connie because I was sitting there going like, why the fuck do I care about any of this? But that's exactly what Connie's experiencing in the car when he's sitting with this guy. Why do I care about any of this stuff? I care about mm -hmm. getting Nick back. And so, like, everybody else has their own agenda that runs counter to what's going on for Connie. And so he has to bulldoze his way through stuff in order to get through it. And to me, it was like, this is like, I don't like what Connie's doing, but also I understand his frustration with this guy. Like, I understand why he in some ways would be willing to let this guy rot because he's driving him crazy and he's getting in the way. And as much as I don't condone that behavior, like Connie is so one track minded about this that like. Everybody else is a boring bystander to him, even if that is a compelling story in and of itself. Like you could have taken Ray's story and that been the precursor to that moment when he gets in a car with Connie. And I feel like that mo the movie would have been exactly the same and it would have been just as interesting. But mm -hmm. because he comes in as a secondary character, it, it forces us to reckon with like our investment in Connie, even though what he's doing is terrible. And it's I, I just it it's so there's so much exposure there and lead up that even with the little context we have is more context than we have for other people but then we're given context for somebody like we're literally given the context for why ray is up until that point sitting in that car and we don't care about him as much as we care about connie and nick mm -hmm. and it's fascinating yeah. the complete opposite i the whole movie i could not give less of a shit about connie because he's such a terrible person i can't connect with bad characters i don't care what happens to them i was hoping connie got arrested or died minute 30 like i do not give a fuck about his intentions like sure could i sit there and empathize with why he's doing things yeah absolutely i could the moment in that movie where i was like i hope you die in the next scene was when he was talking to um the girl and he was like telling her that she needed to do something and his words to her were don't be confused that's going to make it hard for me i was like oh fuck this guy all the way i hope he gets shot in the head in the next scene i don't want to have to deal with this shit i can't imagine what he's done um to nick his whole life he's one of the most manipulative characters i've ever seen in an entire movie i do not give a single solitary fuck about what his intentions are i hope he rots 
So like, I don't get to that point with characters when they're that bad. I don't like bad characters in shows. Um, I like when they exist because I do think that there needs to be consequences to people's actions. I've talked about this all the time. It's one of my biggest um, peeves about anime is when you have a character who's a bad character for an entire arc, but then it ends with them, quote unquote, losing. But then all of a sudden nothing happens to them and they're like, you know, part of the team. I'm like, no, that person has caused harm to the entire world, has killed like 300 people. Like, why are we in this world where they're all of a sudden now like a superhero? I hate that shit. Uh, drives me nuts. That's why I like Attack on Titan, because there's consequences out the ass in that show. But no, I don't get to this point of, like, wanting to connect to the game. I cared more about Ray in that situation, because Ray was asleep on parole, and all of a sudden some <laughs> jackass comes and kicks him out of his yeah. hospital bed. So at that point, again, do not give a fuck about Connie. I'm like, this dude was on his way to maybe not being in jail anymore. And now look at this. He got broken out, which, by the way, that whole scene was completely unbelievable. Yeah. Cannot believe he pulled that off. No nurse came and checked when the sensors uh, went off either. Makes yeah. no sense. We, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, but I just I am I am on the complete opposite side of the spectrum with you when it comes to that stuff. I know we've established this. <laughs> I, mean, I, watched... I also don't. I also don't think Ray was that much better, though. No, he I, wasn't. Like, I mean, he literally—he's the one who poured half a bottle of acid down the the yeah. security oh, yeah. guard's throat, mm -hmm. and then you know he was gonna grift and and rob Connie, and and he tried to escape the police by crawling out a wit. Like, I, I don't know, like just, just he, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he wasn't much better of a person. He just, mm -hmm. yeah. He, oh, was, yeah. he was there when Connie's whirlwind of terrible rolled through. I'm kind of, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of telegraphing my end here, but just as a general note, I struggle really hard with movies that don't have redeemable characters. Uh, I find them very hard to watch because I don't want to spend my free time remembering how shitty the world is. Because, <laughs> again, I, I already live in that space all the time. So, like, I don't care about them. I don't need to see stories of it. Mm -hmm. That was uh, I was talking to Mike about this. Like, I think I know how Jared's going to react to this. So that's exactly <laughs> how I expected you to react to this. So as soon as... I, he's and I think you're bringing up interesting points right with that it's something I didn't think of in terms of empathizing with him in those moments and whatnot but I do feel like I float more towards Jared where like he just Connie kept getting worse and, and it's just shit where it's like, like he's clearly been manipulative with the girlfriend where it's just like like he's just so blase of like just it's fucking 10 grand just do 10 like like the difference of like 3,000 like okay I can maybe swing this he's like it's just $7,000 more like that's just not, I can't just yeah. do that. And he was just so like, he's, and he was, you could see him like getting angry and upset about it. He had all these crazy expectations of people. The whole, uh, is it Crystal? Is that her name? The grandma and. Oh, yeah. Jennifer. Or no, Chris, Crystal's two. the little girl. Yes. That whole fucking scene. Jesus. That's, I, that was my note. I put Jesus Christ. Connie is so goddamn selfish. And then I put the whole sequence with Crystal Good fucking Lord. And that was it. That was all I put for that note. But, um, I mean, I think that's just where, like, I do appreciate how this movie handles tension. And because I was waiting, I was like, when uh, when we thought it was Nick, 
I was like, he's going to wake up and he's going to be so fucking confused. And even if he mm-hmm. sees Connie, it's going to be like, is he going to put this shit together? Like, what's going to happen when he wakes up? And as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, my fucking God, that's not Nick. He grabbed the wrong fucking person. And so, oh, my God. And I, we, we kind of brought it up where uh, I think we, we were talking before we uh, started streaming, but him kissing crystal was so fucking uncomfortable and i can understand what he was trying to do he was trying to not bring attention to the fact that he's wanted on the look Mm -hmm. for him and stuff but holy shit i was like immediately like like oh my god and like just kind of like doing this shit constantly and like He's just so he he just fucking sucks, man. Connie just sucks. I I mean I I was not shocked by that at all. Oh no, yeah, it was weird and a little creepy and disturbing. But like, I I I didn't really have a a visceral reaction like that because I was fully just like, yeah, I mean, this is totally up his character's alley. Like, this is exactly what he would have to do. He's He's already done so much like what's what's turning around and kissing her to stop her from looking at the news going to change in his life besides, you know, helping his current situation now and mm-hmm. creating nothing, a world of her. Yeah, maybe yeah. one of the most driven characters you could have written literally would do just about whatever it took to accomplish his goal, mm-hmm. which. Uh, OK, so. Something I, I'm. I've learned this, I think, in part by just obviously being a therapist. But over the last 10 years, the amount of times in my life that I have heard people both professionally and personally say the line, I never thought I would go this far, is mind-blowing. Like, I have heard, like, so many people think they know what their limits are until they actually get there. And then realize that like all of us are susceptible to going way farther on stuff than we ever imagined we would go. Whether that's hanging in in a situation that is bad for us, whether that's us perpetrating something that's not particularly good. Like people are terrible at estimating what their boundaries are. And I think, again, I I certainly understand why like watching movies like this with irredeemable characters is not a pleasant experience. But this is one where... I find it enjoyable to some extent because it really does reflect in some ways a reality that I think many of us don't like to sit with, which is the fact that like, I think more people than would ever want to admit would go down a similar line as Connie if they believed in something as strongly as he does, like where you would find yourself having made such a huge mess that you have no idea how to get out of where really the only way you get out of it is to face the consequences of what you've already done up until that point, which many people don't want to do. So it's like you have this absolute thing here where it's like, okay, so I know that if I go turn myself in here, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to go to jail. If I keep pushing, there's always the chance that I'm going to be able to get out of this. And people get so pulled into that direction sometimes. And I get that this is an extreme version of that, but so many of us are susceptible to that. So many of us are susceptible to like, take for example, there is no reason, no reason that that, uh, and I don't remember their names, that the grandmother and 16 year old, there is no reason you let a white dude into your house like that Mm -hmm. at the the middle of the night like that. Right. There's no reason to do that. 
But because out of the goodness of their hearts, their desire to help somebody, somebody who can very profoundly come across as needing empathy in that moment, because they have no idea what's happened up to that point. We do. They don't. Mm -hmm. He looks like a guy who's just in trouble. So out of the goodness of their heart, they let a guy, they let a guy in, use their phone, eat their food, use their hair dye, like all this stuff, like is so beyond it. Probably what those people would say they'd be willing to do if you asked them the day before, hey, if some random ass white guy shows up at 2 a.m., you're going to let him in? They probably go, hell no, absolutely not. But so many of us are susceptible to that. What's really interesting about that statement is that there actually is a group of people in which that wouldn't be weird. And it would be people who are like oh, highly religious because of the Good Samaritan law. Oh, like that, yeah, in general, fair. that does seem pretty out of the ordinary or whatever. But like, you know, if you were if you are somebody who is uh, a very devout Christian, if you see somebody who is clearly in distress, knocking at your door, asking for shelter, would it be uncomfortable? Maybe. But for some, that would be a very normal thing to do. I don't I didn't really I didn't really think about it in that moment because I just figured the movie for like uh, the sake of keeping the story going. I was like, yeah, they're going to let him in. Um, but like I would have if I could go back. Well, I can't if I were to go back and watch that scene, I would go and look at the house and see if there was a lot of, you know, say crucifixes on the wall or like, you know, those like pictures of jesus or like whatever because that would be my uh inclination as to why it even got that far is that they were able to get into the house didn't um, uh didn't he say something he was like oh we we got off two blocks ago and yeah and yeah i mean he, she, like, referenced... she said goodbye to him like she made an effort to say goodbye to him on the bus so that's why he figured oh this is my end because you know he is yeah he said god bless but she never did that I ever heard. He said God bless to people as a way to try to um, do Develop, that. But I yeah. don't I don't recall them ever saying God bless back. No, she them. made the she made the effort to say goodbye to him. Right. Yes. That's what uh, that's what I was kind of highlighting. Um, OK. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I mean, could I could absolutely see a world in which if they were a religious household, then she would have been like, oh, yeah, you know, especially with the whole idea that he's from the neighborhood he's only two blocks down mm -hmm. his mom is coming you know he created I mean, this whole backstory in which it doesn't seem that yeah. ridiculous i'm not i wouldn't call myself super really religious or anything but if if somebody if two people showed up at my doorstep and one of them was in a wheelchair and covered in bandages like i think a, a part of me would be like this seems like too specific to be a like a play at trying to break in or rob us or whatever and I feel like if they were to say, like, can I use point. I know, that's no, I know. That's the point. I know. And that's what, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I could very easily see myself being like, yeah, you can use my phone, but I don't think I would, but I mean, maybe I would, I, I don't think I'd go as far to say like, yeah, you guys could come in. I'm going to leave you with my daughter or with my granddaughter while I go do this thing. Like, but yeah, I, I, you know, obviously I, they haven't showed up at my doorstep yet. So maybe I would, but I could see myself as a not religious person saying like, oh, well, yeah, here's my phone and go for it. You can call whoever you need to. I also think, and I think this is, I don't know if this was intentional in the movie. I would be curious if it was. I would love to know the answer of this. But I think on another level, it also speaks to um, 
how we give we give white people the benefit of the doubt all the time. Like when when you they came give, in, you give them the benefit of the doubt all the time. We do, yeah. Them, we I, I white people, yes, I give white people the benefit of the doubt all the time, and we see that <laughs> because like. Connie gets the benefit of the doubt constantly when they set the security guard up who's black for those who haven't seen the uh, the movie they set him up in that uh, in the fun house or whatever the hell it is and they beat the shit out of him they pour acid into his mouth involuntarily they take all of his security clothes off and that dude that dude was doing his job and honestly was doing it pretty well uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I mean more than I would ever expect I from just... a security guard I, I mean I'd be like dude you guys do whatever I didn't see you get out of here but <laughs> yeah. like but uh but he like <laughs> like no way but like they set him up and there was no question they just immediately are like oh yeah this dude's druggy like just no benefit of the doubt no wait till he sobers up no nothing just this white security guard who it, yep believe him completely even though the clothes don't fit him believe him completely and this guy must be just must be some junkie and like he just honey constantly gets the benefit of the doubt from people as well, you know, and all the people of color don't the same thing. A 16 year old girl is outside of a outside of a, oh, a fun adventure or whatever whatever in the middle of the night, which just walking out and they detain her in the take her into a cop car. Like, it's crazy, right? Like, well, it's New York in 2017. So you have to think about like stop and frisk. So it's not that. It's not that wild. Like I knew as soon as yeah. she got out of the car, she was fucked. I was like, don't get out of yeah, the car. Yeah, no. I mean, that's yeah. what's scary is like knowing that that's the case. But like Connie constantly bulldozes his way through stuff and he's fine. And I think it's just it's one of those things where like, again, I, the, the it's so I think some of the discomfort in this is because we have to confront this reality of the fact that like we are all so close to this type of thing happening in part because of the fact that humans on the whole, unless you're Jared, but even Jared will do this, is we'll give you the benefit of the doubt if you sell it right. Like if you show up in a way that demands some form of empathy, like humans will generally go past their boundaries and that can really screw you. But the scary thing about that is you go, so, okay, so what do I do with that? You all of a sudden you start to have an immense amount of empathy for people who are agoraphobic because it's like if you go too far down that train, the world is terrifying because it is so unpredictable and this kind of shit could happen at any point in time. And so many of us prefer to live in a world where we believe that like folks are generally fine and that we're generally not going to get hurt and that something like this isn't going to happen because if we overly attend to that, we won't do anything. Mm-hmm. and and it's <laughs> you it's it's a it's a terrifying notion i'm looking yeah, at your face it, it's like this, Jared. it's cracking me up <laughs> it's like I've, the whole it's like the idea behind saying. like you don't you don't expect to be pushed on a railroad track by a stranger which crazily has happened several times now in the last year or two but it's yeah it's nobody expects this like crazy random unprovoked just randomness entering and changing or ending your life in that kind of way i think a lot more people do think about that but they realize that they cannot let that stop them from functioning i think there's a difference between which is why i eat male pickles that's what you're saying i realize there's a problem there but it's just it's really it's 
like it's at what point am i gonna say what are they gonna mail me anthrax like if somebody's gonna go out of their way to go to sean houlihan's podcast and mail me anthrax they're either devoted or fucking crazy and i didn't have (laughs) an option they deserve it like (laughs) yeah Yeah, i don't know I, I guess. No, it's guess a possibility. So. I know it's a possibility, but at the end of the day, I'd like to think that generally I'm safe and worst worst case scenario I die. Most likely scenario I'm fine. Slightly less worse scenario that's more likely than dying is I just get food poisoning. But like you know what I mean? It's just I know that the the possibility is there that this crazy random thing happens where somebody mails a anthrax pickle to my p.o box i just think it's probably not gonna happen so i hedge my bets so yeah in that example where you have something that that's that's such as that i don't want to say bizarre but a situation like that sure you can kind of push that to the side and be like oh you know if this happens it happens more kind of in a general sense of just stuff that could happen on a day-to-day basis i think a lot more people live in the realm of shit could go sideways at any moment but if i focus too much on that then i won't get anything done so they have to compartmentalize and just you know kind of make it work throughout the day is kind of the point that i'm getting at it's much different from say like male pickles like i mean think if we're going to take it into the context of this movie stop and frisk was really really bad if everybody who had to deal with stop and frisk didn't leave their house because of stop and frisk they wouldn't get anything done but it wasn't that they didn't think about that fear constantly. It wasn't that they weren't constantly aware of that. It's just that they have to push through it in order to live life. Mm-hmm. And so I think the point I'm trying to make is it's not so much that humans don't live in that space. I think they live in it significantly more than you might assume, but they have no other choice than to power through it. Mm-hmm. And that to me, is highlighted immensely by this movie. And that's interesting to me. That, like, like to me, that like that's the part, that's the thinking piece. Like, in contrast to when we were here talking about Hot Fuzz a couple weeks ago, like, that, to me, is what makes a movie like this so much more interesting. Because it, we have to think about these things in a more, like, just developed way. And I... I like I could talk about so much of this stuff for like hours. Like Mm -hmm. to me, there's just so much here and it's, and it's all from a movie that makes no effort to give you any of this. Like it literally is a movie that presents itself as being just completely surface level. You're along for the ride for whatever the moment is going to take you into. And you have no motivation or connection to what's going on yet. I think part of that it's why, like it sort of forces us into our own projections of that type of moment, right? Like, because one of the things that happens in movies where you are given and sort of like spoon fed all the context and stuff is you no longer have to think about how it necessarily relates to you specifically. You don't have to fill any gaps with your own assumptions. You're given that. It's like why TV shows, like you can get invested in the characters and you can certainly connect with them in different ways. But when you have a movie like this where there's so little context and you're left to basically judge the behaviors and the situations, you have to fill those motivations and stuff with your own experiences and and projections. And that can be, I think for some people, it can be really scary. For some people, it can be interesting. For some people, it can be like, I mean, I don't really know how you could watch this movie and be like, 
excited and happy mm-hmm. but like it may i mean it, again it made me confront that and i think maybe it's particularly salient to me because two weeks ago one freak accident completely screwed me over for another two months like it, it's just amazing to me the randomness of that and so you just you see the chaos of like human like humans can be so chaotic and scary when they want to be and there's and there's like so in the same way that like connie or we might look at a person like nick and think we can't get like it's frustrating that we can't get more out of him because of the circumstance of what's going on for him neurologically connie's not much different like you wouldn't be able to get much else out of him because he's so one track minded yet we like we have a hard time squaring that up and i think it scares i mean it certainly has me throughout my life like people who don't have any sort of like cognitive flexibility freak me out because you like it they feel like there's no pliability to it and there's no give and that for me is like a terrifying person that is like that and connie i think represents that and i think it's why so many of us struggle with folks who are mentally ill in the way that nick is because we don't experience the flexibility that we generally come to expect from people in our lives and both ends of that spectrum whether it's by legitimate circumstance or by conviction are equally unsettling and one is more chaotic and terrifying because it can actually like like lead to these really crazy complex pathways so i don't know there's a million different directions i can go with this but i don't know if i describe nick as potentially like mentally ill though what what would you no i guess i would say it's probably i wouldn't call it like mentally ill so much as i i always hesitate with like how like what words to use for this but he's certainly disabled in some way like mentally or like psychologically or i would i would say they're trying to illustrate that there is a a cognitive impairment there yeah for sure yeah for sure and like we don't know if it's because he had like a tbi or if it was something that he like we don't know and i think that's part of it too is like then we're left to try to assume what it is mm-hmm. it's just always fascinating to me that the way that people like the way that neurotypical folks will interact with that because there's it's so hard to empathize with that person's experience given the fact that they can't fully articulate it to you Mm-hmm. And I think that that frustrates so many people. And it's why so many therapists don't like to work in that context either, because it's it's more difficult. There's a lot more. You have to be way more pliable um, as a person to get into that space oftentimes, because most folks don't know how to do it. It's it's a very difficult space to empathize with. And so we make assumptions about what they need and what they want, like go like robbing a bank and taking them to Virginia. Like that's a total assumption, my guess, on Connie's part, because who knows, maybe Nick enjoys the consistency of being at home and connie's the source of problem because connie's chaotic energy like we have no idea and we never get that information it could very well be that he's perfectly fine being at home with his grandmother and he's too afraid of connie to admit that connie's what's going on or he doesn't know who the issue is like there's so many unknowns there right like for all we know like a whole that movie in a smaller less uh with fewer outcomes happened right before this movie because you know it starts it starts with Nick in some form of counseling therapy whatever you're and it ends with him in some sort of session and so for all we know it's like the whole thing with his grandma was another you know issue with Connie getting him worked up for this reason or getting you know it could have been a whole whirlwind of stuff for an hour or 
or not an hour, but like in the same way that the events of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do get a little taste of it just from his conversation with his grandma when he's in jail. Um, Cause he does talk about how his grandma doesn't care about him and how Nick does care about him and how Nick was going to bring him and get him a farm and, or how Connie was going to come and get him a farm and all that stuff. So like, there is a bit of context yeah. there. Why we, why he thinks that I think is the space where we sit in question oh, because we don't know if it's manipulation on say Connie's part as to why that's why he feels that way. But we do get a very clear idea of how Nick feels. Um, it's just why it is that way. Cause that's what, that's also what the beginning scene is so interesting because they start talking about some incident in which Nick was like, I threw the pan and, um, cause he was upset and the, he said he was scared of pans or something. Yeah, and the yeah. counselor the counselor was like, Oh, were you did you throw it at your grandmother? Were you trying to hit her? And he's like crying that whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't really there's a lot of complex stuff there that we don't really know because guess who comes in and fucks it up? Connie, because he sucks. But here's what's scary, dude. Like, I mean, I'm gonna take that to like the there one of the probably the one of the bigger fu moments for me with Connie before shit just got obviously chaotic was the way when he when he grabbed Nick and he was holding him and he said I love you and nobody else like nobody else does or something like that he's like I'm the only one that like loves you <sighs> that is awful because yeah. it it is so like. It creates a oversimplified story that like is so deeply manipulative of Nick. And what's really scary is that like we don't know if Nick in that session with the therapist is saying his own perspective or what he was told happened by the people in his life Mm -hmm. who maybe wanted to defer. Maybe Connie threw the pan at his grandmother and then he he goes to nick and says it's okay buddy it's okay i know you threw the pan he's like i didn't throw the pan he's like no no you threw the pan but it's okay like we have no idea that's what's terrible that's why family therapists exist by the way so we can have multiple people in the room instead of just one person but like that kind of thing is really scary because you don't and that's like you don't know like we don't know what nick said when he was in jail we don't know how he's making sense of what's going on. We don't know if he's regurgitated something that Connie has completely forced into him. Like he at this point could be an extension of Connie's will. And and he has no autonomy because he does he's incapable of developing it or it's been stripped away from him. Like this stuff happens. Like if you're listening to me say this and you're like, "Oh my god, this seems ridiculous, Dr. Vic." No, this happens all the time. And there is actually a phenomenon that act, that happens and Jared, I'm sure you're familiar with this given that you're in the same field that I am, where sometimes people who are caretaking for folks who, whether they have a disability or or not, they will sometimes perpetuate incompetence of the people they're taking care of because they are overly invested in being a caretaker. Like that's their identity. And so, for example, if Nick is making progress and is getting to progress, however you want to conceptualize it. And Nick is starting to become more in touch with his autonomy, his values, his perceptions. Well, that runs counter to the caretaking role that maybe Connie and his family has taken. And they're going to continue to perpetuate and force incompetence, potentially to the point of gaslighting, to make sure that Nick stays inept so that they can maintain their role in the family. And that happens all the time. And it is terrifying 
how often it happens because people sometimes do realize they do it and sometimes they don't realize they're doing it and they become an extension of that person's own values. And that is awful. Connie's entire orientation during this movie is the idea that Nick needs him. And we see at the end of the movie, Nick does not need him. And it, it, it doesn't get much more profound than that. I think that's why my favorite scene of the movie is the last scene, because if you were listening to the questions that she was asking, mm -hmm. uh, they got really intense really fast. And I'm sure yes, they, they just did. did that. I'm sure they did that because of, it's a movie and because of the pacing or whatever. But mm -hmm. she was like, oh, yeah, uh, go to this other side if you like candy. Go to this other side if you've ever been in love. Go to this side if you've ever been blamed <laughs> for something that you didn't do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, what? what? But I, like, what's interesting is that he those like really mundane ones he is kind of like this is stupid but then when she's like go to the other side if you ever had a fight with a family member he crossed mm -hmm. so i think another mundane thing happened like i think uh, the love question was asked he's like i don't give a shit but then it was like go to the other side if you ever been blamed for something that you didn't do he crossed yeah and probably so, because connie was gone yeah exactly oh, yeah. and so that's why that was my favorite part of the movie because it's like this <laughs> dude gets to fucking live his life now without the most manipulative human being uh that he's probably ever come into contact with and like i mean this isn't like a redeeming quality but like one thing i think that's really interesting about connie is that throughout the movie he shows how intelligent of a human being he is multiple times yes. that is something that i will have to give him he is extremely smart whether you want to call it street smarts or whatever his way to think on his feet and uh, quickly assess the situation, figure out a way in which he can get through it with the set of skills that he has, is quite remarkable. Um, I that's I think I noted that like minute, maybe twenty of the movie. I can't remember. Oh, it might have. I think it was the scene where he was like, "Dude, why are there so many cops on my dad's floor?" And the doctor was like, "What floor are you on?" He's like, "I'm on five. He's like, "There's not supposed to be any cops on five. The inmates are on six. He's like, "Oh, this is unacceptable," and then he just goes to six. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I mean, I would, I would have never been able to think that fast and figuring out how to try and figure out what my brother is. That was masterfully executed. Um, so like, I'll, I'll give, I'll give Connie that, and that he is very intelligent. But like, the fact that Nick was finally able to move on and be able to maybe move to this place of autonomy, I, I loved the end of the movie. I was like, finally. Yeah. I, uh, I was happy he kind of got arrested. I, I, I was oh, glad yeah. that it ended that way. Yeah. I thought Same. it was interesting how they showed him getting arrested. It wasn't because you think that's a big moment. He's been the central character we've been following. We're not even there. We're watching from Ray's perspective, from you know a God's eye point of view kind of thing. And I thought it was interesting that that whole sequence happened from that perspective. It wasn't, we weren't with Connie in that moment. We were with Ray. So one of the things that I thought was super interesting just throughout the whole movie is that so many shots uh, are from the perspective of uh, for essentially of cops, like yep. the show, not not even yeah. a profession, yeah. like the helicopter, mm -hmm. like when when they're driving to the adventure land, it's a helicopter shot just as if they were tracking like, and you've got OJ going down the highway and yeah. he's 40. And then it cuts to like, that's the tracking shot of that car is way back helicopter shot. And so then the same with him running and getting caught. It's essentially, yeah, it's from race perspective, but it's a above the top helicopter shot. The same one you would see in a cop's 
chase cam like oh and there the officers are coming behind and and then you know even from ray falling from the skyscraper or from the building or whatever not skyscraper i rise but like that it's a handheld it's like shaky it looks like it could be like a emergency response person looking up or like a news camera just arriving and it's like oh catch the gripping action so just like so many of the shots are are like through this lens of like you're looking at it as if everything happening is criminal in front of you and i i feel like that really shapes both the narrative of all the characters but also the kind of chaos that's happening and mm-hmm. and yeah so just yeah like how you were saying like uh, him getting caught in that way like I, it very much felt part of the structure mm-hmm. it's interesting too because guys go ahead john i was gonna say it's interesting too because when they're wa- he's watching cops with crystal and he's like you know they're watching whatever scene happened and he's like i, I can't remember he says something about like he's like I- we got to turn this off i don't want to watch how they justify it or i can't yeah, remember yeah, yeah. is that what he says and so i'm wondering yep. if it's like we finally feel justified watching him finally get fucking arrested. Like, like Jesus, like, you know, kind of a thing. I don't know. And so that's an, I'm just thinking of that now. So I don't know, but that's interesting. So you can go ahead, Ryan, whatever you're going to say. So this is maybe a bit of an odd question, but I I'm curious if this was me reading too far into the movie, or if you guys had this experience as well, the, so we, the last scene we see is Nick getting punched in the jail. And we do not see him again until it's a front face shot of him sitting in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. He's fine. So, so I had a moment where I wondered if Nick was actually Connie. And like if they were the same person, sort of like Fight Club style. And that like Connie was a like either had had some sort of like issue happened when he was uh, like where he like lost his cognitive ability or whatever and it was like sort of a glimpse into a memory he had of himself or if like there was like sort of a fantastical idea of like what he had done even though he hadn't like there was this whole reality of how he had constructed how he got to where he was but none of that actually happened like i sort of had this moment when they were doing that i was like wait a sec because i think they did it almost immediately after connie was in the back seat of the car and then they like of the cop car and then they like switched over to him and i was like holy shit like is that connie because he was said like oh nice haircut and i was like is that connie and we just i don't know i like i th- i had this moment where i thought that i wasn't sure if you guys had that thought at all but it crossed my mind and i it, it's still very in early stages of like thinking mm-hmm. it through but we don't see I, connie after that point yeah I can't say that I thought of it or that I would have thought of it, but I, I could totally see that being an angle that you could draw from it. And cause I, you know, kind of looking at it re- retroactively now, uh, that, that is an interesting cut of the super long and just like, uh, shot of him in the back of the cop car and just nothing's happening. And it's just like sitting on him and sitting on him and sitting on him. And then it cuts to Nick and it's sitting on him in the hospital waiting room or whatever it is or court wait or whatever room he's in. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. See, I took that transit. It, it was a very sinister shot of Connie in the car and he's just kind of looking and then he slowly like his eyes start to darken. Like, honestly, I took it as just showing how fucking evil he kind of is and to a point. And then it cuts to Nick who's well lit you know, he's just there doing his thing and 
you know, he's the, I don't know if you want to call him good guy, bad guy kind of thing, but I just took it as a juxtaposition between the two brothers of just cause he, I mean, he finally, he's been arrested and it's just like, he's not even really like, he's just not phased by it. I guess I, I would say. And I think that makes sense. I saw Skog ask, and I wanted to clarify this to the title of the movie because I poorly explained this. So I pulled it up, but the title good time is prison sling. It refers to a reduction in a prisoner's sentence for good behavior. And according to the directors, the backstory is that Connie behaved well in prison and got released on his good time. And this is how he spends it now when he's out of jail. And so people refer to it in jail as their good time. But when they leave, they have their strict rules and opportunities to get caught up. You're not having a good time when you're on your good time. But it's better than jail. So that's one thing. And so that's kind of where the title derails from or comes from. And so maybe that's just like, you know, that, that could be deeper into his character of, I, I don't know. I kind of just solidified how much he fucking sucks. And I, I know the points that you were making with him and em- empathizing with him, Ryan, but it was just like, I don't, he's, I want to be clear. I'm not no, justifying anything. No, no, that no. He did in any no, way, no. shape or form. No, and I compl- <laughs> no, no, and I completely get that. I, I completely agree. But I think it was just like I, I couldn't even get to that point. And I think that's where I'm kind of agreeing with Jared in this point. Like I couldn't even get to that point with him because it was just. And I think it's good that you're bringing these points up too because it's something that I'm not actively thinking about in these moments because I I'm so caught up in how much Connie sucks. And so, would but yeah. change? Would your opinion change if? it was the case that Nick actually is Connie and he's just I, I see like the pro- mentally ill. And that was, there were, like, would that change? I mean, I can't even get to that place. I don't think that's what's happening. I'm more with Sean and that the last shot was to show how, cause like when I saw that scene, my thought was Connie is literally thinking about how he's going to get himself out of this situation. Like, that's why that he has that look. He's scanning everything around him and scanning everything in his brain to say, how could I get out of this? Because, like, actually, while he was being arrested and Ray was falling down from the building, I thought what was going to happen was Ray was going to hit the ground and the cops around him were going to go, oh, gonna- shit, and leave him. And then Connie was going to book it in his handcuffs because that's just what the movie was setting up is that this dude can get out of anything. anything. Yeah. So, like, I thought that last scene was Connie's going to figure out how to get out of this. The thing, the only thing that would lead me to believe that your thing was true, and I think this is actually just a timing thing, is that Nick got literally jumped in jail. Like, got his ass whooped. And the next time we see him, his face is fine. And so that is either amount of time that passed, or maybe there was something that was going on there in this situation where it was like a flashback state to another time, and then we're seeing him. That's the only way I would have been able to get to the place that you got, but I didn't get there until you said something. Again, like the, the only reason I say it is because like, so and, and sometimes when, for example, if people are processing trauma, there are moments where when you unpack, so, because I think the timing that Connie came into the initial, I don't want to derail this entire thing by going into like Ryan's conspiracy of why Nick is actually Connie, <laughs> but like the, the moment that Connie barges into the room is when the therapist actually starts to unpack a traumatic moment. And Mm -hmm. there is this like sort of like moment of lucidity that can sometimes happen for folks when they have, uh, when they're systematically brought into that space. And then it, it, so 
and then what it would suggest, I think, to an extent, because if Connie is the madman that all of us are making him out to be, generally the way that that would be handled, if if he got out of being sentenced by pleading insanity, would be for him to be on a whole host of a bunch of antipsychotic drugs that would potentially make him present the way that Nick does. And so that's the only, like, it's like, okay, good. We got him recalibrated back to where he needs to be, where he's medicated and just in it, unable to like do anything because he's so like pulled down by the medications we've got him on. So again, I don't want to derail the whole thing, but like, there's this part of me that's like, man, I could just totally see it with some of these little moments that came in, given the fact that they only share screen time during the robbery, but that's like, but that's it. And the, do they ever show Nick's face on the news broadcasts when they're talking no, about the robbery? They do not. They I don't, only show I don't Connie's think face. So. But that's because they're on a manhunt for him. They they have yeah. Nick, so they don't need yeah to show what uh, Nick. Do they ever like. mention? Do they ever refer to Connie as the brother? Uh, I'd have to watch. I honestly don't know. I'd have to watch the clips again to double check that. Oh my so God, initially... do I have you legitimately intrigued, Jared? Well, I, I mean, you have me I, wanting to debunk you. I, so see, but initially, I, my, my, my initial impression was I can actually see some merit in this conspiracy, but the more I'm thinking about it now, I feel like, so A, if, which, and this isn't out of the realm of possibility that it could still be true, but the whole plot is essentially him trying to get his brother out of the hospital. So if it's really him, he, but again, if, if it's this sort of split, psychosis sort of like he doesn't have this comprehension that he it's not two people that maybe he doesn't realize he's chasing after nobody by trying to break into the hospital to break nobody out but then the other thing is when he calls the hospital and he's like i need to know where nick is nick nikis is at and and she's like oh well hang on one second let me look him up and then rather than coming back and saying like no there's nobody here saying oh well we can't release that's what uh, she has to say though she has even, to say that whether he exists or not. Yeah. Even if her first deny. response, even if the first response is to be like, well, hang on, let me, let me look. Yeah. You wasn't have, that her first response? She did say, she did say, let me look, but which is a, which is a faux pas, but technically her response there has to be, I can't confirm or deny that this person is here. Okay. So, so that is technically like, like if a person ever asks me directly is X person, your client, I have to say I can't confirm or deny that that person is my client because if I say no, then that's also outing that person as not being my client. If I say yes, right. I'm saying that they are. So it, there's a little bit of a protocol that's actually legitimate there right. for saying I It'd can't. Probably be a HIPAA violation. Yeah. Yeah, because he can't. She has no way of identifying that he's next of kin over the phone. Like if she right. discloses that to him and says yes, your brother's here because she takes his word for it, that is right. a terrible way to handle that so right i think in a way she actually kind of fucked up because she said i can't release information on an inmate yeah yeah <laughs> and you're supposed yeah. to just say i can't release information on a patient because like if anything the way that situation would have gone is that uh in order for him to like prove it as he was say a therapist um he would have had to refer her to a release that he sent over yeah I so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I, like I said, I just, it, it percolated in my mind and there's like, it's one of those things where like, if I watch the movie again, I would be like trying to track it a little bit more heavily, but, um, 
an interesting thought yeah it's i i mean the more that i think about it i think that it's not just because of the way the sequence of events play out and how i mean because i was thinking too it's like okay well he's talking to his girlfriend about her brother and she's like oh your brother kind of thing and but then you know then we fall down the rabbit hole of uh connie being manipulative yeah and she's never met the brother so i don't know it could be but then uh, you know i this is like a weird rabbit hole that i don't even know i'd want to fall down under i think it's it's too vague of a rabbit hole that it's just like there it's there's so many areas where you know you can't disprove it but just because you can't disprove it doesn't necessarily mean it's right i think it requires I think I think in order to go down that and this goes, I think, even beyond my own expertise, but like I do acknowledge that it's a rabbit hole that like you really only would go down if you think about this stuff regularly, mm-hmm. which I do for a living. So like I think there's a part of it where it's like it's easier to fill in certain gaps of that with like like where an average like and I don't want to say average viewer, but like where a person who doesn't have this type of like like I, if we had somebody who worked in like a psych ward or something like that, like a psychological ward of a hospital, I would be very curious to hear their perspective on like that theory. But yeah, I don't know. Like, anyway. like a sophomore take an abnormal psych right now. I hope you know that. Do I? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, so yeah. from a film, from read a your filmmaking mind. perspective, I would say th- if that was their intention, they needed to have dropped like another couple subtle hints at it because it it, just from a filmmaking perspective if that's what they wanted to come across they did a really bad job at making it come across it's like it's just there enough to where like i'm thinking it could yeah i i I don't know i never would have thought of it on my own but having it brought up i'm like well okay i could i could trace that because they don't really address like the very beginning you brought it up where it's like okay it's you know him it's the cognitive part of him like, hey, we're not divulged. I don't want to get into this. So here's this persona I've created that is Connie, who is interrupting this vulnerability moment. But the but that's assuming then because Peter talks to both of them in that moment. And so he's addressing both. So that means he's no, like Peter knows like, oh, there's Peter's in on. Um, but devil's advocate, I mean that think of like split with uh, what have i done <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, it's, just, it's, it's, i mean it's cause interesting because they t- he talks to each of the personalities as if the, it's that person that's no i know like that, that's what i was dry. that's what i was getting yeah. to is like he's in uh, like he knows the condition or yeah. something so I, I love playing a good devil's advocate i still don't think it's some- true but <laughs> there are some folks who will and this isn't like a split personality thing so much as like there are some folks, whether you take like an IFS perspective or just thinking about like different parts of yourself. There are folks who will name like sort of like a, if I when I'm you know, when I'm hungry and I'm angry. Oh, that's when that's when Jack comes out. Kind right. Of thing. And so like if the therapist is intimately familiar with Nick slash Connie and then Nick is like sort of this like vulnerable uh, docile, not particularly emotive person. And then all of a sudden he kind of has that snap when he goes into the trauma and gets either aggressive or angry or invasive. And they've defined that person as being Connie, like that that part of you is Connie. A therapist may may realistically say like, oh, is Connie here? 
now? Like, are my talking to Connie and would interact with it in that way? And so it is to some extent plausible, like him barging in the door being like, fuck, like if you're a therapist, like, fuck, Connie's here. I was making good progress. And now he's just flipped over onto this side. Like this makes my job so much harder because this Connie part impedes me from being able to access the vulnerable Nick part. I mean, this is what I mean by like, I could go down this wormhole immensely with this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, then whose perspective is the movie actually shot from is the other like, and it's just a whole. Yeah, Yeah. I think I fall more in line with Micah's with Micah's point of from the filmmaking standpoint, this isn't conveyed like, you know, like Fight Club, if we're going to go the Fight Club route, it's clearly like shown and then they go back and show like, oh, well, this is how both were there in that moment kind of thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, to me. I can see it, and I think it's interesting, but I don't personally. I don't think that that's what what's yeah, going it's on. Not, it's, it's, it's not implausible, but yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's an interesting. It's, it's an interesting thought. So, but a well, little we'll, uh, put a little sizzle in there. Yeah. I do appreciate that the movie was shot with so many close ups on people's faces, though. It made it very engaging for me. Mm, that's interesting. There's a. Uh, I had to watch a movie, and it was like in the 1930s. It's called Joan of Arc. It was some movie based on Joan of Arc, and literally. The entire movie is just close up since it's a silent film, so it's not the easiest movie to watch in this day and age. But that movie. Well, if is you just want like... to talk about, if you want to talk about movies that are not easy to watch, I don't know the name of this one, but I I did a documentary filmmaking class in college, and it was literally a forty-five minute film. It was a person's face, the whole forty-five minutes, just a close up on their face, watching. That it was basically a reaction YouTube video, but you don't get to see what they're watching or hear what they're watching. You just watched a person emote for 45 minutes. They put them in a room and recorded them watching images and then sitting in silence for 30 minutes. And so then some like they did it for like three different people. And so like one person just like sat there and their only th- their only things they couldn't do were close their eyes. And so they just sat there and some people started breaking down and crying after like 20 minutes. But you're just watching. It's just this for fucking like an hour of just someone's face. That I wish I remembered the name of that. that was, what's the name of that? Me too, what's, the name of that uh, what's the name of that uh, public art piece that that one woman oh, did? The woman that sits and just stares that, at people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's like I the um, that's the YouTube channel where that guy was just sitting there smiling at the camera. And then, have you guys seen that one? Oh, and somebody some breaks, breaks in behind them. Yeah. yeah. That, that one. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Dude. Marina Abramovich. It's basically that. That's what she yeah. did. Interesting. All right. A guy on YouTube that does whiskey reviews while his wife is actively divorcing him in the background. I've really seen good. that. I've seen <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. Internet, man. Oh, man. Gracious. <laughs> All right. Do we want to move on to our... Our uh, ratings. Oh, dislikes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, th- I thought we were. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I feel like we're. All right. These were our likes. Yeah. yeah. Start from the Part beginning. Part two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ryan, why don't you start us off with your colors? Because it's. Have you thought about this or should. Do you want to go last? No, I have. I, oh, I, okay. I thought about it. Oh, okay. I, knew you, I knew you were going to ask. Okay. Me. okay. Yeah. Um, so I actually oscillated a little bit. And I think, do you want to real quick? I've, do you want to remind people your for those that are listening to this that don't know it? Colors, your 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 colors. It's, it's on a spectrum from olive drab to royal purple, which um, olive drab being the worst. It's bad. And, okay. Olive drab is bad. Royal purple is good. Hot fuzz was yellow. 
uh, for <laughs> for anybody who wants a little bit of a way to scale this. Uh, so I, if you're scaling this at home. It's yeah, right, right. yeah, yeah, it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If so you want to join Ryan's system. My my reaction, my rating of it has changed slightly since I like several hours after watching the movie as I let it marinate a little bit more. Um, I was at like a I was at like a seafoam green after the movie, but okay. um which is a which is better than yellow. Okay. Oh, okay. Um okay. I'm at like a fuchsia on this one okay as michael looks up what fuchsia no no, no. I'm, oh. I'm i'm writing down your yeah. i have a i'm keeping a doc a google doc of all of our scores so i'm typing in seafoam into fuchsia is what i'm writing. Yeah. yeah it's like uh for me i think it's like a it's a fuchsia i i initially was in this spot where i was like okay i I enjoyed that movie in the way that I could enjoy it. I was mostly engaged throughout the movie. There are some interesting themes in that movie that are not comfortable for me to pay attention to, but are important to be reminded of. Um, but as I've like kind of thought about it throughout the day and having this conversation with you guys, uh, I think like it, I would put this pretty like, relative to the few movies I've seen in my life, I'd put this pretty high. Like I, I, I really think there's a lot of interesting discourse that can happen around this movie. And that for me is super engaging. So I'm, I'm in a, I'm in fuchsia territory on, on this one. All right. Uh, I just want to, everyone's like, is fuchsia good? What the fuck is this grading scale? <laughs> okay. We need a vision. Like, <laughs> And that's the beauty of it. It's just like, I don't know. That's the beauty of it. Take it for what you will, I, you know? You know, take that's, it for what you will. It's it's uh, it's better it's than fuchsia. yellow and seafoam green, but it's not as yeah. good as royal purple. Yep. So take that for what Inception you will. Inception is royal purple. All right. For those of us. Inception of is royal purple. Yes. Yes. Uh, Jared, do you want to pass or fail? Yours, yours is interesting, too, because yours is just... Uh, yeah, it's very simple. Uh, it's a fail for me. I, I the movie was. Oh. It's not like I wouldn't consider this movie to be enjoyable. I don't really recommend this movie to anybody. Um, I'd, I'd say it's more frustrating than anything. The one thing that we didn't talk about that I think would actually be really interesting for you, Sean, is this movie. I think does have similarities to Uncut Gems, but I think it's primarily just due to how the Safties like to make movies. Mm-hmm. I would say watching this, for me, Uncut Gems was literally a million times more stressful than this movie. Mm -hmm. um, did uh, Could I see how this movie was stress-inducing and were there times where I was like sitting there wondering what was going to happen next? Sure. But like I could feel my heart and my feet watching Uncut Gems. I still cannot think of a movie in which I have been more stressed watching than Uncut Gems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that is fits for other people who have seen Uncut Gems, but this was like this wasn't what, even Uncut it, Gems light to me. This was just like a movie. Mm -hmm. Is Uncut Gems a pass or a fail? Uncut Ooh, Gems. That's a good hard. question. Uncut Gems is really, really hard because whenever people ask me about that movie, I say it's a movie that you should see and never watch again. Because <laughs> like I because again, this one I would say uh, that's a, I would say that's a pass. Then I mean I think that's a. 
I don't know if it counts though or not. Cause like, well then why would I mean, you, why would you tell someone to watch it? At least they need to watch it. Because, once because it is, again, I have never had the feeling that I've had watching a movie that I have had with uncut gems. So I think it's worth it's having so that unique experience. But like, would I say that that is, but you know, me saying you should only watch it once. Does that fall into past territory? Like my my scale gets a little tricky at times. It does I would I would probably say it's a pass, um, just because I do think they also do some things in Uncut Gems that maybe they just hadn't thought about doing in this movie yet, because you know it happened what like three years before. Um, I think they take some shots in. Like, I mean, like phys- like actual like camera shots stuff like that. Um, in Uncut Gems that make it. Uh, just not necessarily better, but just different. It gives you a different feel than this movie does. Um, so would, yeah, I'd say I'd you, say maybe it's a pass. Would you tell someone to watch Good Time? No, anyone. You would never no. w- tell anybody. To I watch it. I would not recommend this movie to anyone. No. Okay. I I'd, I'd say it's a. I'd say it's not worth the hour forty one. Hmm. Fair. That's fair. So my score has shifted since. When I watched it, I initially gave it a bit lower of a score, I think. Um, but so then the more I'm thinking about it, um, I sort of agree with Jared in that um, Uncut Gems, is, it's one of the only movies that has made me feel a very specific type of anxiety and chaos that just like very viscerally, just like I was so uncomfortable while watching it. And very few movies ever make me feel uncomfortable, even when it's like gross shit or like whatever. It's just like Uncut Gems is awesome. Yeah. So I I don't think I would say I liked Uncut Gems, but I really appreciated it. And I can I could talk about it and I could pull out of it. And so if I was on Jared's scale, I would say it's a pass. Uh, And so in for for this one, uh, the more we talked about it and the more I think about it, it there's a lot you can pull out of it. And I, you know, like I thought a lot of the, from a filmmaking perspective, a lot of the shots were really interesting. And, and just the Safety brothers are, are super um, skilled at making you, of evoking chaos and just like making you experience and feel true the true feelings of the chaos that are happening on screen mm-hmm. and i feel like there's very few people i know of that can do that and so i would say in that regard it's a really uh well-made piece of chaos it's just that i really don't enjoy watching chaos or experiencing two hours of anxiety and so i'm gonna give it <laughs> I'm going to give it a three out of seven. I had initially, I was going to give it a 1.5 out of seven. Mm, wow. Most, mostly because I, I was going to say, did I like it? No. Was it, was it worth watching and was it well made and was it well acted? Yes. So I had to give it something. So now I'm pivoting uh, in the same vein as, so like I, when I was really coming to it, I was thinking of the documentary, Dear Zachary which is I, you, I, I could bring, never recommend somebody watch it. Why are you bringing it's, that it's up? It's just, but, well, because no, I know, I it's know, a really, I know. It's, it's one of the few documentaries where I've just been like gut 
wrench just like right in the stomach at, in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And so it really did a good job of making me feel a certain way. It evoked a lot of conversation, but I wouldn't be like, oh, what a good watch that was. So in the same vein with Good Time, just like I, I will never watch it again. I'll never watch Uncut Gems again. I would very few people I would recommend it to. But I'm glad I watched it and I can appreciate a lot of things, both that we talked about and that I can pull out of it for a couple of different reasons. That's fair. That's fair. And for the record, I think Dear Zachary is the movie I've cried the hardest at. That movie destroyed me. That side yeah, of the no, documentary I'm, destroyed I'm, I'm yeah. good. I just looked yeah. up the I just looked up the plot. I'm dude, good, man. Dude. I don't need it. I, I was, don't need it. I was not <laughs> I think he, I him and our friend Brian I think told me to go into that blind and I did and holy mother of <laughs> fuck. Guys, <laughs> I just I cannot I <laughs> man, no movie has destroyed me like that. It's even just, more than yeah. Marley and me? Yes, more than Marley. Dude, I <laughs> I was legit like fucking bawling, dude. It was like and <laughs> it was bad. Wow. It was so bad. I, I watched Dear Zachary at the IU library in a public room with a hundred other people around me with headphones on. And then so there, then there's, one particular, there's one particular scene that just like rips your soul out of your body through your mouth. And oh, I, man, I, man. I literally it, it happened and I, I just my face went white and I closed my laptop and I just I walked out of the library and I was like I can't be here right now (laughs) so I just like I just sat there my god that movie was something but yes the uh, real quick the story that Ryan's talking about Ryan spent the night in my house he went to bed super early I stayed up and I watched Marley and me and I cry I was crying at the end of Marley and me and that's when he fucking woke up and I turned around he's like dude Sean's crying at the foot of the bed yeah he's like dude are you crying it's like, yeah, man, I just watched Marley and me. It's like, <laughs> so yeah, it's like the fucker fell asleep. So I watched Marley and me. Oh, um, yeah. Also, small note, uh, Uncut Gems is still the movie I felt the most uncomfortable in, but coincidentally, is actually the most comfortable I've ever been in a movie theater because I saw it at like this like brand new movie theater in like I think Seattle. Uh, where they had like the full on recliner seats. Oh, nice. So it was like awesome. you're it was like you're basically <laughs> watching at home. So like I'm literally in this movie theater, like in a chair where I'm just like this. <laughs> uh like watching the movie and then like by it, I'm just like gripping this recliner. Yeah. Just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? You were uh, so yeah. You were comfortably anxious as fuck. I was I was <laughs> I was comfortably the, the one of the most anxious I've Actually, no, I think it is still to this day the most anxious I've ever been watching mm. like media. Yeah. Not not like life, obviously, but like watching like a show or a movie. Mm. I think it's the most anxious I've ever been. That's fair. Um, my yeah. rating, I'm not going to dive into why because I feel like we've gotten through this at this point, but mine would be uh, three Rudy Paws uh, out of five for me. So I think, all right. I guess I'll kind of divulge. I mean, I feel like from a filmmaking standpoint, I do like this movie a lot. It's really well shot. Acting is pretty incredible. Uh, I love the look of it and whatnot. It's just there's something satisfying mm-hmm. about it. So um, I, is it something I would recommend to everybody? No, it is not something I would recommend to everybody. But if it's something that, you know, you read the synopsis kind of in your ballpark, you know, I would say it's worth a watch. But I definitely don't think it's something I'm going to, as soon as this podcast is over, like I'm going to go watch again or something. So, mm-hmm. but no, I think, the discourse that we've had with this has been pretty incredible just because it's, it's again, yeah. it's just stuff that like, I just don't actively will think about as I'm watching. So I, I love 
getting these different perspectives and from you guys and whatnot. So this is me basically saying I appreciate you guys. So John, what's its NPAA number? Its NPAA number is fifty one zero one one. Fifty one thousand and eleven. So for those curious. It's down there or up there. Down there. I don't know. Uh, now? Oh, just like in general, like what the what the yeah. last one yeah. I got was. I don't know what, where. What's we're the at. Batman's MPA number? Mm, what the hell is NPA? Motion uh, picture of America. Motion picture of Every time, America. every time some uh, a studio has to file their movie to get rated by the MPAA, oh. which is the Motion Motion Picture Association of America, they they are given us a serial number essentially to say like okay stamp like you've been approved by the mpaa you are film number 51274 okay. so got it uh, uh that's a lower number than i would have imagined as uh as far as my favorite uh letterboxd comment um oh yeah i don't i don't think this would surprise you but uh the comments are riddled with people just talking about how hot robert pattinson is yeah um, and also because of the release of the batman uh there are a bunch of people who watch this movie like today or like yesterday mm. or the day before yesterday so it's seen a Huge just a influx. dramatic increase in reviews mm. uh but number one favorite comment is definitely kind of feeling like a sprite right now <laughs> At, uh, uh, that's definitely laying in a puddle thing. out front. Yeah. Uh, oh my god, dude. That's a good one. Michael, what was your thing? I just forget. Uh just budgets and how much Oh, that's right. There we go. Uh the budget for this was four million. Mm. Uh it made two million. Mm. So it lost money. That makes sense. I to don't. Me. Rem I don't. Rem yeah, me too. I don't remember this movie being promoted at all. Like at the very I least, even when I don't watch movies, I do remember when they were promoted and seeing the ads for them. And I, I had never heard of this movie until Sean mentioned it. Yeah, I, I think this movie was the the catalyst that got them, um, uncut award award yeah. attention enough to be like, all right, these guys have some serious chops because it's a very well made movie. Um, and so Uncut Gems was two years later. They had four times the budget that it was 19 million. And that, although that made 50 million, but that's also probably in part because of the Oscar buzz that it turned to profit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I also wonder if this was because like, I mean, this is another A24 film. I do wonder if they kind of took the approach of like maybe smaller theaters um yeah, for, for good time because this is this this is 2017 a24 so like not as buzzy as it is now but like maybe like starting right at that to generate buzz yeah you know? yeah it could have been and i mean also like i mean what is it that's this is where in robert pattinson's career uh, this would have been um let's see he'd done a here. couple Harry Potter, post. Twilight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, outside of Twilight before this, he really didn't have like a big movie. Um Yeah, so that could also kind of be it where it's just like 
you're still i mean this is not a tween movie but like most of his fans are tweens oh yeah yeah (laughs) i'm not gonna get a bunch of people who liked eclipse to go see good time (laughs) wow edward's really well okay so i'm looking at um the list of a24 movies this good time is actually quite a bit into their their stretch of pretty popular movies so like Room, which won Oscars, that was two years before Good Time. Okay. Ex Machina was three, two years before it. Uh, End of Tour, well? two years before. Ex Machina had a pretty wide release, I think. Yeah, did it did. It, uh, yeah, that but did it did it do well? I can't remember if it did Ex well Machina? or not. Yeah. Uh, give me a sec. I think it did. Pattinson's... Fifteen million budget, three six point nine box office. So like. I guess it made money. Uh, Swiss Army Man came out a year before a good time. I mean, what more do you need? I still got to watch that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not surprised at all. And I'm in the same boat as Ryan where like, I don't remember really seeing any uh, promo. Yeah, uh, for this movie. I, I feel like they existed until. I think their other movies got significantly more promo than this one. Like, I feel like I would see like YouTube ads and stuff for a 24 movies around this time. Like I, I learned about like St. Maude because of like a, uh, a YouTube ad before some video I watched. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. All right, guys. It's like a good wrapping spot for this. So Ryan, thank you for coming on and talking with us. I appreciate it, fellas. Yeah, this was it. This was a pleasure. We'll find, uh, We'll find time in your schedule to hopefully do another one. I know J- Jared keeps asking yeah. me, dude. He's like, please, Ryan, every week, let him host. Oh, yeah, say what? Just let me be a regular staple at this point. Not, yeah. not true. Yeah. People wouldn't know who's been talking the whole time if I wasn't here today. That's true. They'd be like, that's just a voice. Who is this? <laughs> Who are these guys? Who are these people? Yes. <laughs> but thank you guys for listening and watching. However you're consuming this content, I appreciate it. I'll follow Discord to stay up to date with that stuff. Ryan, thank you again, bud. Appreciate you. Love you. And uh, love you guys too. Yeah, man. Goodbye, friends. See ya later. Bye bye.